0: you gotta know how we do it homeboy. and we are is a town we are is a town you got know look john east side yeah. boy and your boy Sean paul play like Let's this your boy they call to me hello 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 welcome to episode 65 of all In with kevin i am your host kevin lewis In today's episode i'm going to talk about mike white day at metlife stadium yesterday um what it's like observing the Knicks as a uh, an objective observer slash former fan, um, and, you know, some general NBA thoughts. So, so the Jets won yesterday, 34-31. They upset the Bengals in a shocking result at MetLife Stadium. Um, Mike White was the star of the show. He completed 37 of his 45 passes for 405 yards and three touchdowns. Um, he even caught a two-point conversion. Like, Mike White did a little bit of everything yesterday. He was very good. He was very good, not 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 arguing, at all. Um, there there has been talk, you know, a, a, you know, quarterback controversy talk, that kind of stuff. Um, my thoughts on Mike White yesterday were pretty simple. He can throw a short pass. He threw them very accurately. Like I don't know how sustainable that is. I don't know how much that has to do with the Bengals' defense not being prepared for him necessarily. I don't know. There's a lot to unpack there. But he showed me that he could throw a short pass accurately yesterday. I mean, after all, his average depth of target yesterday was 4.23. 63% of his yards came after the catch. And Michael Carter was targeted 25% of the time, which led the team. That's the point. Like, Mike White can throw the fuck out of a short pass, apparently. Like, that's the only thing I really learned about him yesterday, right? Um also, we don't have to pretend that the game plan was not different. Like I see I've seen that a lot like oh, well, Mike White just executed the and look, I'm not I'm not here to tell you that the plays were different. I'm not here to tell you that. I'm not here to tell you that they ran some vastly different they, they lit the playbook on fire and went with some I'm not here to tell you that, right? What I am here to say is that they out of the first like 26 plays yesterday i think they threw the ball i think they threw the ball 22 times something along those lines they threw the ball they threw the ball 45 times and that's not accounting they dropped back 45 times and that's not accounting for the times that mike white was sacked like the game plan was different like we don't have to pretend we don't have to lie the game plan was different we don't have to push agendas the game plan was different it's impo- it's impossible to sit here and watch that football game and say the game plan was not different Again, I've said this on the show before, I'll say it again. Um, All of the Jets' offensive problems do not lie at the feet of any one person, and all of the Jets' offensive problems are not about Michael Flohr. I'll say this again, just so I am clear in where I'm going with this. I'm not blaming him for all of the Jets' offensive problems. Zach Wilson has to be fucking better. We all can see that, right? A blind man can see that shit. Zach Wilson has to be fucking better. We understand that. With that said, and I'm not even saying Zach Wilson could have executed yesterday's game plan as well as Mike White did. I'm not even saying that for, for 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 a variety of reasons. Between Zach's short accuracy being a problem, between Mike White being relatively new and people not having a whole ton of film on him, I'm not sure Zach Wilson could have executed that game plan the way Mike White did yesterday because also because I'm not sure Zach is patient enough for all that shit. Which maybe will come in time. Because like Zach either A is struggling with the layups that he does try to take or doesn't want to take the layups right now. He'll learn, I think. But we don't have to act like the game plan wasn't different. We don't don't need to do that. The game plan was definitely different. Like, you want to say Mike White executed executed the plays better? Sure, he did. There's no arguing that. But we don't have to sit here and act like "There, there was no difference in the game plan. It's all about execution. Yes, it's about execution. We understand that. But they were way more aggressive yesterday, hence, hence the damn near 50 dropbacks. Wait, we not have to lie. We don't have to lie. Like, it's all about execution. Like, yes it is, but if that was if it's, if it's simply all about execution and we're going to just make that a blanket statement, then we they, then we can never really legitimately criticize an offensive coordinator because then it's all about execution. Right? No matter how dumb the play call is, if you execute it, it's good. Then we can never criticize the play caller. But, I mean, either way... Um, Michael Lefort called. A good, apparently, that was his first game calling game calling the game from the booth. Okay, so let him keep doing that then until it doesn't work. Great. Um, as far as this whole thing with, with this being a, a quarterback controversy, I think it's kind of ridiculous. Um, I think people, I think the Jets beat some of them, are kind of thirsty for it to be a quarterback controversy because they need shit to write. The Jets are a two five team that aren't particularly interesting. Mike White coming in, the light of the world on fire, makes things more interesting by default. They get to write more shit, and they get to ask, they they get to ask these little pointed, dramatic ass questions too. You know what I'm saying? Like they like they did in the post game with Salah. He was like, hey man, anything's possible." Which I, I I that's the kind of lie that I am here for. Like the the, the kind of lies they've been telling about Denzel Mims, the Joe Flacco. Like it, it makes you look incompetent because it's it's stupid fucking lies. The lie that Mike White anything is possible, and Mike White might be a long-term starter. That's what you're supposed to say, and that's that's great. You know why it's great? Number one, there, there's really no follow-up after that. Like there's no but 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 no, there's no follow-up after that. Like yo, know, anything is possible. We're we're open. Sh- shut the fuck up, basically. That's it. Like there's no real follow-up to that. And number two, it doesn't it doesn't rob Mike White of his moment. Like, yesterday was Mike White's moment. Like, his family was there. First career start. Like, he did everything. Like, led the team with 34 points, threw a bunch of touchdowns, caught a fucking two-point conversion. They won the game. Let the man have his moment. Like, this is five minutes, basically, what, essentially, five minutes after the goddamn game ended. Let Mike White have his fucking moment. I appreciate that kind of lie. Like, thank you, Robert Sala. Like, I appreciate that kind of lie. But... Like, Jets fans and and writers alike, too, and Jets writers alike, too, are acting like they've never seen a backup quarterback come in and catch people by surprise before. Like, we've seen this before. Like, Matt Flynn made generational wealth for himself based on one fucking start. Like, the thing that Mike White... Two two things that, that I took away from Mike... Well, three things I took away from Mike White's start. One, he pretty much insured himself like a decade's worth of backup quarterback checks. Good for him. Like, I'm happy for him. Good for him. He insured himself a lot of checks with that performance. Two, he could throw the fuck out of a short pass. As I said, his average depth of target was 4.23, and 63% of his yards came after the catch. And three, I'm just glad he did that shit, because I don't have to watch Joe fucking Flacco play quarterback. Like, that trade made no sense when it was made. I'm not going to go too deep into that, but I laughed at the Jets when they made that trade. Whatever. Like there was three main takeaways from Mike White's performance. Is he gonna be the starter? No, no, like no, bro. Like, because there was nothing that he did that I that I feel like somebody can't watch some film on, pick up some stuff, and make life hell for him in the next start, next two starts, however many starts he does get. That's the thing. Like there was nothing he did where I'm just like, wow, this guy might have this guy might have a future. Like he executed a game plan. And it looked like the Bengals were unprepared to see him. This is not to take credit for him. He did what the fuck he had to do. And if Mike White is a capable backup, that's a win. That's a win. Then, then, he's, then he backs up Zach Wilson and he's there for Zach Wilson whenever he struggles. He's an extra pair of eyes to, to look at to, to look at some stuff to help Zach out. It, it's a, it's a win. If he is a capable backup in the league, it's a win. But is he, is, is he going to steal Zach Wilson's job? No. Put it on record, I, I'm saying it with full fucking confidence. He's not going to take Zach Wilson's fucking job. Because it makes no sense to, to bench a number two overall pick for a physically limited fifth round pick based on what? One start? Let's say two starts. He plays well against the Colts. Ba- based on two fucking starts in a season that's already fucking lost. It makes no fucking sense. Like, unless you legitimately think this dude is Tom Brady, Which, I I think the odds of me getting struck by lightning every day this week are probably higher than that of that. Like, legit. So, like, as I said, I think the Jets beat wants that to happen because they want a story. Because the Jets, quite frankly, are a boring fucking football team. Let's call it what it is. We don't have to lie. They're a boring fucking football team. There's only so many 52-13s 50, or twenty three nothings that you could take on this team, like and, and have to write about it. Like they're happy to get some drama. I don't blame them. But do I think that this is actually okay? Like it's going to become annoying if Zach Wilson comes back and does poorly again. Then we're going to oh, well, Mike White would have done that. It's going to be annoying. But we have to stop pretending like we have never seen a backup quarterback do well before. Again, we've seen Matt Flynn generate generational wealth for himself. Chase Daniels began like 12 years worth of, of NFL paychecks. I don't even know how, really. He ain't that, he ain't, he ain't that good. But people stick, People keep him around. Like, Nick Foles won a Super Bowl as a backup. Like, that, that's a little bit of a, an extreme example. And also, he had some previous success in the NFL. So it's not an apples to apples case. But the point remains that he's done shit since. Backup quarterbacks get in and do well sometimes. Am I saying that Mike White is a complete hopeless case and and he can't go out there and be a capable starter? No. All I'm saying is yesterday didn't show you a whole lot outside of yo he could throw a short pass and yo that's great that's a great skill to have. Like people often miss like mistake my um my opinion on like short passes and checkdowns or whatever in general. I'm not saying that you shouldn't throw them... Hell, I'm not saying that you can't throw them often. Like, Tom Brady throws them a ton. Aaron Rodgers throws them a lot, too. Like, obviously, it's a little bit different in those guys' cases because they kind of... They are feared by defense in a way that a lot of quarterbacks aren't. So, like, they're, they're, they're concerned about taking away the outside, taking away the deep middle. So they might give them check-downs. Like, all right, I'd rather you take that than take whatever you want, which, okay, fine. But, like, I, I'm not against building an offense around short passes. There are quarterbacks out there who who are risk-averse to the point where they're hurting their offenses. That's my problem. There's play calling out there that's so risk-averse that it hurts offenses. Those are my problems. If that's all you got, that is my problem. If, the, if that's your default, that's my problem. You're not going to win an NFL playing overly conservative, risk-averse football. You're just not. I'm not saying you got to go out there and be and be Risky Raheem every single fucking week, every single play, every single drive. I'm not saying that either. There's times to be safe. I get that too. But if that's all you got, you ain't winning shit. That's all I'm trying to say. Nobody's saying don't check the ball down, don't ever check the ball down. I'm not saying that. Yes, I'd rather you push the ball down the field if you can. Nobody's saying to throw the shit in traffic. Nobody's saying to never take the running back on a check down. Again, Tom Brady's made a healthy living off of that for fucking 38 years or whatever the fuck he's been in the NFL for. So, understood. Mike White did what he had to do yesterday. Do I think that that is sustainable? No. Do I think he's a starter? No. Or the starter, rather, for this team? No. He's not going to supplant Zach Wilson. He's not. And I'm saying this with confidence. Do I know, quote-unquote, no? No, of course not. I ain't I in the Jets coaching staff for the front office. I don't fucking know but I'll tell you this unless like Mike White is just something that I like I am incapable of seeing at the moment it would be it would be really stupid to bench him to bench Zach Wilson in his favor but we will see what he does Thursday night now won't we um short week on the road we will see what he does we'll see what he has I don't expect it's gonna go that well for him but we'll see but enough about the Jets holy shit the hell's he talking about holy shit i can't take any more disappointment that's what he used to say when we watched the Jets games together i can't take any more disappointment that's an exact quote the knicks let's talk about the knicks all right so a little background for those who either don't know or care or whatever i used to be a knicks fan die hard knicks fan right used to watch every game knicks fan watched watched every game for a long time knicks fan Still, still, I'm mad about '94. Even, even as far removed as I am from fandom, still, st- still, mad about '94. Kind of Knicks fan, that like I used to be in the in the trenches with the Knicks. All right, that's how I used to be with the Knicks. So w- once they traded for Derrick Rose in 2016 or 17, one, whichever year, like he was in the middle of a trial. You guys know. I don't think I need to spell it out. He was a, he he was accused of rape, right? So he's in the middle of a trial, and then the Knicks traded for him. So after enduring f- basically what like 15 years worth of bullshit, and then that, I was like, all right, I, I've had enough. I can't do this no more with the Knicks. All right, so I so I I backed away from them. That's all. I was like, all right, I'm not doing this no more. Will I will, will I will I end up rooting for them down the road? Maybe, I don't know. But for now, like I'm good. So it's and it's been fine. Like the the NBA experience. Is a lot less stressful when you're not pressed about some team giving up an 18-3 run to close their lead to two with 30 seconds left. Let me tell you, it's a lot more it's it's a lot more fun when you have no horse in the race. You can just enjoy the John ja Morants, the Luca Doncic's, the Steph Curry's, the Lebrons. You can just enjoy them and not be stressed out to hell because you know Julius Randle is at the line shooting two down by one with a second left you can just enjoy it and not give a fuck so that part of it, it like not rooting for a professional basketball team has been fun right so like there are parts that i miss you know just the conversation the camaraderie with nick fans like the good the smart nick fans I, I, we all know stupid ones but i'm talking about the, the die-hard the loyal passionate smart nick fans like i miss Like actively conversing with those people since I watch the Knicks still, but I'm not as involved in it as I used to be. Like I don't watch it as intently. Like it's more or less background noise, but it's entertaining background noise because the Knicks said we're entertaining last year and they're entertaining now. But I miss that stuff. So, but the thing is, like, I'll just keep it. I'll keep it a stack. If Derrick Rose was just was to just disappear, I would start. I would start. I would eat. I would become a Knicks fan tomorrow. If you were just disappear, like name your method of disappearance. Don't care. If you were just disappear. I'm not hoping that the man gets hurt, so please don't make please don't read my statement th- that way. I, like, it's not I'm not that pressed to root for the Knicks. but if you use the terrorist ACL tomorrow, I'd, I'd start rooting for the Knicks again. Like I gave up the Knicks because they got him. I, I cannot come back to them, come back to rooting for them and being a diehard while he's still on the team. That doesn't sit right with my spirit. And I'm a lot of things, good and bad, but I don't claim to be or pretend to be a fraud. So that's how I view that, right? And of course, this goes without saying, I could just root for the team despite him. That's fine. Um, He's too big a part of the team for me to just sit there. He's too big a part of the team. He's too big a part of the conversation around the team for me to just sit there and actively root. For the team, I can't do it with that dude. Like, I cannot root for a success. That's just not... It's not in the cards for me. Flat out. It's just not. Like, as I said... Like, he retires. goes, Gets traded. Like, I'll be back immediately. That should... That, it, it's just not for me. But... The, me and the Knicks at this point... Are like... You and the romantic partner that... Like, y'all dated... Y'all had good times, had some bad times, typical fucking relationship stuff. And y'all realize, both of you realize that you guys weren't really meant to be romantically in the for the long term, but you guys are still very cordial, still very friendly, and still do adult activities every once in a while. Like, that's kind of where I'm at with the Knicks. Like, occasionally, occasionally. You know, you do adult activities with the ex that you're cool with. I, I know y'all some of y'all do that with the with the exes you're not cool with. You know, occasionally you do the horizontal polka with exes that you're cool with, that you're friends with, that you go hang out with, you can go grab a beer with, whatever, right? Occasionally I'm glad the Knicks win. Occasionally I'm happy the Knicks win. Right? Because I love Nick fans. The the smart, passionate ones, not the idiots, but the smart passionate ones, I love Nick fans. Like, they ride for their team. They're smart. Like, they know their basketball. Passion as fuck. I love it. Like, I appreciate that kind of passion. I miss it. Like, I love that stuff, right? And I'm a sucker for a good story, okay? Like, like a lot of people, I'm a sucker for a good fucking story. Kemba Walker coming home is a great fucking story. Obi Toppin being a a New York-born kid... And being left for dead last year, basically, by Nick fans and non-Nick fans alike. Even though, like in the playoffs, he started to show some signs, right? Him being left for dead, New York-born kid, him being him being a breakout guy, like uh, a breakout candidate for for the Knicks this year. That's a great story. I mean, Taj Gibson to a lesser extent. I don't care about Taj Gibson like that, but he he's another New Yorker. His story is cool. His relationship with Tibbs is cool. Blah blah blah. Okay, get it. And R.J. Barrett's fucking Jamaican. There's a lot of things I like about the Knicks. And then on top of that, like, they play a fun brand of basketball. And for the first time in a long time, like, I feel like 2013 doesn't necessarily count as far as competence. Because the Knicks ran ass backwards into a lineup that worked because Amari played like 10 games that year. So I'm not even going to count that because they then fucking traded for Andrea Bargnani right after the fact. Despite the fact that they saw that that's not what worked. So like I'm not even going to count as competence. Yes, they won a whole bunch of games. I think they did that they ran into something that worked on by accident and were like, nah, we don't want to do this no more. Okay. So like this is the first time in a long time where you can look at the Knicks and be like, you know what? We see competence. Because you can just sit there and you could throw up a bunch of threes. Like, and I'm gonna talk about the three-point shot in particular right now. You can sit there and you could throw up a bunch of threes without a plan and without without with a bunch of dudes who can't really shoot we kind of see the NBA has shifted to the point where a a lot of teams just shoot threes just to say that they did it, to kind of keep up with the Joneses, right? The Knicks were third in the league in in shooting percentage last year, but last in attempts. Third in the league in three-point shooting percentage last year, but last in attempts. So they they managed to get Kemba Walker, who's an excellent shooter. They managed to get Evan Fournier, who's an excellent shooter. And they built on... Like I don't know if RJ Barrett and Julius Randle's shooting percentages from last year are sustainable, but they they took that leap last year. So call it what it is, it's there. The Knicks have a bunch of people who now can create for other people, can create open shots for other people, and more importantly, can make open shots and make open threes. So now they're launching threes. At last I checked, they were first in the league in three-point attempts. I don't know. I haven't checked that in like a week. So I'm not sure where exactly they are now, but they... They play a fun brand of basketball, and it seems like their organization gets it. So, it's fun to be a Knicks fan, and as somebody who used to be one, I'm happy for y'all. And I'm happy for RJ, because Jamaica, Jamaica, you know what it is. I'm happy for Ovi, because he's from here. I'm happy for Kemba, because he's from here. As far as me rooting for the team, that's not going to happen until number 25 is gone. I I think that's Rose's number. If if it is... until he gone, I, I, I ain't going to be fully, full-on investing it because I just don't want to root for that dude, period. I just don't. But good for the Knicks. And one more thing before I move on to the rest of the NBA. Their over-under wins was like 41. I thought that was free money, and I still think that's free money, and it looks more like free money every day. Because <laughs> th- they won 41 last year in a shortened season, and they got better. And the thing is with the Knicks, too, like, above all like, I I just talked about the, the tactical adjustments that they made and how they have more guys who can create for other people now. The Knicks are going to play fucking hard every night. And I know that sounds so fucking Captain Obvious. I get that. But not many teams are going to do that. Period. Like, not many teams are going to come out there and bust their ass in regular season games the way the Knicks will. Now, you can make an argument that that kind of... That those kind of teams don't necessarily have the highest playoff ceilings, and that's an argument that we can have another time, which I realize and I'm not necessarily against. But that, that that's a discussion we can have another time. But they're gonna go out there and they're gonna bust their ass. They're gonna play hard. A lot of teams not gonna want to deal with that shit. They not like like you you on this fucking bullshit fifteen to thirty two team, and here come the Knicks. They they asses playing like every 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 plays they last. And all that shit. Like, you're not going to want to deal with that shit. There's going to be a lot of games the Knicks beat, win this year by, like, 35 because the other teams just had no interest in actually playing. That's how it goes. They're going to play fucking hard. So, like, I thought the 41 or 42 or whatever it was, was a, was a gimme over. And I hope you took the free money, those of you who do engage in those type of things. All right. So, moving on to the rest of the NBA. This is just some general thoughts. Um... James Harden, uh, you know what? Let, let's tie James Harden into the officiating because the officiating is a big one that I want to talk about. So, um, in the offseason, the, the the NBA had made a step and made a rule to legislate to legislate non basketball plays um, as far as drawing fouls, like grifting, basically, not insurance fraud as Bomani Jones would call it. Shout out to him, but um, insurance fraud fouls or drawing insurance fraud fouls. Like, they're trying to legislate those out. Nate, so get off her! you talking about! She was five feet away from you! Five! You really need to stop! You really Respect need to... Respect my call! Respect my call! I didn't touch you. Please! Hey, rap. you saw that, didn't you? did you see that? Man, I ain't seen nothing. Then so maybe you need thicker glasses, man. So, James Harden is... He, he was the most egregious... He was the most egregious, um, example of guys who benefited off of those non-basketball plays. Like, I think James Harden's great, and I don't blame him for doing that shit, because they're going to call it do it, okay? You don't have to enjoy it. Like, I don't think any of us really enjoyed it. I don't think any of us really enjoyed watching James Harden play basketball. But if the referee's going to be stupid enough to give you 18 free throws a game based on the fact that you can fucking act, then take it. (laughs) Like, I don't- why are we judging James Harden for this and not the league, is what I never understood about those conversations. I don't give a fuck if James Harden wants to flop. That's his. That's his. That's his deal. He try to win. James Harden like a ninety percent free throw shooter. I, I'd be upset if I root if I rooted for a James Harden led basketball team and he wasn't doing what it took to get free throws because those are points and basically automatic points with him because he's one of the best free throw shooters in the league. So I, I never had a problem with him doing that. But regardless, the the referees have kind of gone a little far in the other direction, if you ask me. They're kind of calling nothing. Like there, there are there are obvious like blocking fouls that are not getting called now. That are kind of wild if you if you watch the games. That are kind of like there are obvious fouls that like are just not getting called at the moment. Now, I don't think that it's going to continue this way. I think this is kind of a trial, where they're going to see what works, what doesn't work, you know, how it affects the game, maybe how it affects the ratings if they want to go that far with it. I, I don't think that this. Is going to be how it is forever. But it's funny to watch. Like, Trey Young is complaining about that shit now. You know, another insurance fraud salesman. Uh, Like, Harden is struggling. But the thing I'll say about James Harden is... Get your jokes off now. Because in about... Give it a month. The jokes are going to become obsolete. And he's going to beat James Harden again. Like, you don't get to this point... Just by acting and doing and doing all the ref baiting and 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 the dr- yanking of the arm, all that you don't get, you don't just get to James Harden's point where he was averaging thirty five points a game in in, in multiple seasons. But you don't just get there doing that. Like James Harden is one of the best scorers in the league, bar none. Make no mistake about it. And he will be fine. He is out of shape. I mean, you could say he's out of shape. You know, on a fairly regular basis. But we're not gonna go there. Um, he's out of shape. Uh, he spent the offseason rehabbing his hamstring, apparently. And like Tim Legler pointed out on TV the other day, he said um, he had the same. He had he had a worse hamstring issue, and it took him a while to get back into game shape because he didn't trust it. And he he didn't. And that Tim Legler was basically a spot shooter, but he didn't trust it. He didn't trust to explode off of it. He didn't trust to do things on it because he thought because he had he 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 was in the back of his mind. He was just like, yo, I don't want to go back to to rehabbing. I don't want to go back to the injured list. So there's, there's other things that play with Harden here, but it is funny that he's struggling the minute that they start just calling, I mean, for lack of a better word, calling it like it's the wild fucking West, for lack of a better way to put it, rather, calling it like it's the wild fucking West, because they're just not calling shit. Like, there, there was a period in the, in the Heat Nets game the other day that I was watching where it was, I want to say it was like six, seven times down the floor where there were, there were five fouls, minimum five fouls, and none of them were fucking called. And it was just like, everybody was just stopping, they were pausing, expecting whistles, and nobody was getting them. And it's like, all right, I get that you have to legislate out the non-basketball plays, but now there are plenty of basketball plays that we're not calling fouls either. Where I, I, there, there's, a, there's a medium there. I don't mind letting some fouls go, bro. If you called every foul of every game, every game would take five hours. Nobody wants that either. So, like, I understand. I understand, like... Not calling everything. and I understand that there's a medium to find. There's a middle ground here to find, but it's still funny that that Harden is struggling the minute that they do this. He's gonna be fine though. Get the jokes off now. I understand. Like some of y'all don't like James Harden. I get it. Some of y'all don't like him for whatever the reasons might be. His beard, his game, how he how he asked out of Houston. No, excuse me. How he acted while he was asking out of Houston out of Houston. I get it. Y'all don't like him. Get the jokes off now because. In three, four weeks, when he's averaging 30, 35 a, game again, 35 a game again, it's not going to be a sweet. Or 30, well, 35, 35 a game, James probably dead. But, you know, 27, 30 a game, whatever, nine rebounds, eight assists. What, what, the, the stuff that James Harden typically does. Get the jokes off now because you're not going to be able to get them off later on. I promise that. So, but uh, the Nets, I mean, Kyrie Irving is still on his um, sabbatical because he doesn't want the jab because he thinks he's the voice of the voices and he's standing with the people, despite the fact that he's rich enough to not be able to work and the people he's allegedly standing for cannot do the same. But okay, yeah, right. Um, st- Yeah, voice of the voices, whatever. Either way, the Nets likely would be fine with or without Kyrie Irving. Um, again, Harden's playing himself with the shape. Like the rest of the team, there's some new guys, blah, blah, blah. Kevin Durant's still Kevin Durant. They're going to be fine. Um, speaking of big money, uh, big expectations, teams, the Lakers. Um, I never understood why they traded for Russell Westbrook from the start. Okay, and some of the stuff that he's shown this thus far, even in game, even in the game that they won, it was like, oh yeah, I see why, like looking off people taking that broke ass jumper, like fucking up the offense, for lack of a better way to put it. I, I, I don't understand why I traded for him. like. I understand that LeBron James is at the point where he cannot carry everything by himself. He is 37 years old, or excuse me, 36 years old, sorry. He is 36 years old, about to be 37 in two months. He cannot carry everything by himself. He needs help facilitating in the offense. And that's the thing with having Anthony Davis, as great as he is, and in a vacuum, he's probably the best player on that team right now. Like, he's not creating offense for anybody. So like, we could have a best, most valuable discussion in the NBA as far as LeBron and AD. Like, you could say LeBron's a more valuable player while AD's a better one. I'm not going to argue with you. But AD's not creating no offense for anybody. So LeBron needed help in in that area of the game. Like, he is 36, as I just said. So they they brought in Russell... And and it's like, they brought in Rondo, who for 15, 20 minutes a night could do that. Like, as a backup point guard, you could do worse. Like, is is Rondo going to give a fucking regular season? Probably not. Is Rondo good anymore? Probably not. But he's competent at bare minimum. He's competent. And if... And if his jumper from last year, like, he, he shot 40% from three. I, I don't take a lot of those shooting percentages seriously because there was no fans for, like, half the year. And just everybody just shot well. I don't I don't know what to do with that. Maybe everybody's just that dope at shooting now all of a sudden. But R- Rondo shot 40% from three last year. If that's somehow sustainable, he's a perfect backup point guard. Like, you don't need LeBron. And he can play with LeBron on the floor because they're both smart. And if Rondo can shoot, then you can't just sag off of him with with no kind of repercussions, even though people are going to do it anyway. Because once you get in the scanner kind of report that you can't shoot, people are just going to let you shoot forever. Like, that's kind of how it goes. It's going to let you shoot forever because they think it's a win on a possession. And, I mean, to be honest, I can't even blame them because Rondo shooting a three is not exactly a loss. Like, all right, like, if you shot 40% from three last year. We don't believe you. You need more people. I get it. Like, I understand. But... Russell Westbrook is best served being a guy who you don't play that many minutes with LeBron and let him go ham with LeBron on the bench and the pay, paying what they pay and I, I don't give a fuck about the players like Kyle Kuzma is what he is like is he as bad as a lot of us claim he is whether seriously or joking like no like he is at least a competent NBA rotational player if Kyle Kuzma played for anybody else, we would see that. But Laker fans told us that Kyle Kuzma is better than, insert, really good player here. They, I mean, shit, they told us he was better than Jason fucking Tatum, for God's sakes. So, like, Laker fans are doing the most. And he plays in L.A., and he's famous for uh, for non-basketball reasons. So, thus, that kind of colors how we look at him from a, from a basketball perspective, right? But, I mean, like, they gave him up. They, Harold, Harold how on a winning team like he has no real place because they're they if you if you play in playoff minutes they are gonna run him off the floor. We've seen it the last two years. And Contavious Caldwell Popus, whatever. Okay, cool. But like you could have traded for Buddy Hield, and I'm not of the of the opinion that Buddy Hield is some great NBA player. But having a shooter around a shooter like that one of the one of the league's best shooters around LeBron and Anthony Davis seems to make a whole hell of a lot more sense. Than trying to jam Russell Westbrook's square peg into a round hole. That that it just seems to make more sense to me. And I don't know how the how the luxury tax works as, as far. I don't know what Buddy Heel's salary is off the top of my head. I know Russell Westbrook's making it in the forties as far as millions. So as far as the luxury tax worked, I'm sure they could have done the Heel deal and also kept Alex Caruso as well. And Alex Caruso is not some great NBA player, but he's a good rotational piece really good rotational piece, really good defensive player Russell Westbrook is not and does winning stuff. Russell Westbrook really does not. Like, Westbrook plays like an NBA 2K my player. That's kind of what he is. And when he was as athletic as anybody in basketball, you overlooked it. Because he helped you win regardless. Right? Now that his athleticism is that he's still really athletic, but he ain't just gonna get to the basket whenever the fuck he wants, and he can't he, he can't just impose his will on a game in a snap of a finger like he used to be able to. Hence why he's been on, what, four fucking teams the last four years? That's kind of why. Everybody kind of realized, and granted, the Wizards were going nowhere fast. So that's part of that. I understand that. But, like, there's a reason the Rockets traded him. There's a reason the Thunder traded him in the first place. There's a reason for that. And there's a reason that Kevin Durant left OKC. Not just him, obviously, and we have other surrounding contexts, but if Russell Westbrook was slightly different, maybe okay, Maybe KD stays. I have no idea. I know there are organizational things there that Durant had a problem with, but who knows. Either way, that fit, I never understood the fit. Early season, and yeah, it's early, blah, blah, blah. The thing is with the it's early stuff, I understand that when you're talking about like, I don't know, like, like, who, like the Bulls, for example. Like if the Bulls that started off on 4 and you want to hit me with the it's early? I get it, cause yo, it's like three new starters or whatever it is. Like Lonzo's there, DeRozan's there, two new starters. Excuse me, two new starters. L- like having to integrate with the team, and those two stars are gonna have the ball in their hands a lot. If you had told me, oh yeah, it's early when it comes to those dudes. Okay, fine. With the Lakers, and I'm not talking about anybody. I'm talking about the Russ fit because well, let's face it, the Lakers traded for Russ because they envisioned the big three, and he's part of it, and he's the guy who's gonna have the ball in his hands a lot. Russ has been doing the same shit for 13, 12, 13, however many years he's been in the league. Russ cannot shoot. He thinks he can, so he takes ill advised shots all the time. Because he Russell Westbrook has Jason, prime Jason Kidd's jumper with Steph Curry's shot shot tendencies. But well, okay, that, that's a little extreme. But you get my point. Like he has Steph Curry kind of he has Steve Nash kind of confidence, even though he can't shoot. That's not gonna change. Because the thing is like Russ will just randomly pull up in the middle of a game and say, yo, it's Russ time. And he's 4 for 18. That's that's not gonna change. Russ is who the fuck he is in that regard. And he doesn't defend. He's never really defended. Like, he does not defend. He helps you on the rebound. He helps you in rebounding. I get that. Um, Like, he's a really good passer. I give him that too. When he actually wants to pass the basketball. He's a really good passer. But, the, the, oh, give him more time. Why? We know what the fuck Russell Westbrook is. That's not gonna change. Can the Lakers win a championship anyway? Sure, anything's fucking possible. If LeBron is that guy still, which I mean what, what when he's on the court healthy and playing, he is. And Anthony Davis is that guy, yeah, anything is possible with those two dudes on the team. We get that. But like that just that is just a bad fit. And Russ is basically best equipped to be a 30-minute a 30-minute a game guy who staggers who who was staggered with LeBron and is essentially the backup point guard slash starting point guard at the same time. You know, or or backup ball handler, if you want to call it that, to be more specific. But, good luck to the Lakers on that. I would not be surprised if Russ is going by the deadline. I don't know who's going to take him, but I would not be surprised if LeBron looks around and be like, yo, you you gotta get that guy out of my face, dog. I like him, but you gotta get that guy out of my face, dog. I mean, LeBron had Dwayne Wade trade off his team. Anything is possible. Um... John ja Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies look good early. Um, I was having a back and forth on Twitter earlier this week um, with the Zion John ja Morant thing because apparently people think John ja Morant's better, and I don't agree. Um, he has he has taken a, demo, a, a, demonstra, a demonstrable leap. Um, I don't know, like I, I don't know how sustainable what he's currently doing is, but he's currently averaging thirty a game, right, on like fifty five percent shooting if I'm not mistaken, and he. In the last two games he's played, he outplayed LeBron on his home court and he outplayed Steph on his home court. Like, granted, they lost the Lakers, but he outplayed both of them. So he's obviously—it looks like he's taking a leap. Zion's upside to me is still just higher. He's a guy who destroys—who destroys worlds. Like, he's built to be that guy, and he—he he was that guy last year. He's—he's he's that guy, and he's built. I mean shit he's built like that and he and he still has immense upside immense athleticism he's just he's a freak okay lack of a better way to put it he's a fucking freak so I would still take Zion but Morant looks like he's taking a leap and I love watching him play like he looks like he's a really grounded kid for somebody who's what like 22 23 whatever he is it looks like he's a really grounded kid like very likable dude like he, ha- he has a bright future I'm hey man he's fun he's fun if you have league pass you should probably be watching the Memphis Grizzlies I, I know I am um, Evan Mobley look I, the further removed I get from actually rooting for a basketball team the further removed I get from the NBA draft and that probably should not be the case because I am in multiple long term fancy basketball leagues so I should probably be paying attention but I haven't been so <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest so like Evan Mobley, like when I was doing my fancy basketball prep like all oh, like 2 hours of it before before draft season came, like everybody seemed to be in on this dude. So I you know I read up on him a little bit more and they were like, and I saw somebody compare him to like a slightly more athletic Chris Bosh. And that's when I was like, "Oh, that's what we're talking." About. Okay, so I was like, "All right." So I drafted him in 3 leagues and I was like, "All right, you know, I'm going to watch him a little bit on the league pass." And yo, that person was right so far anyway. That person was right. And the thing with Mobley that's I also read uh, multiple scouts say like he's an NBA ready guy. Like he's going to have blips because all rookies have blips, but for the most part you could plug him in now and he's not it's not going to take a a huge adjustment to get him up to speed with the game. So and they were right. He looks the part and his defense looks absolutely terrifying right now. Like for opponents, obviously. He looks like a defensive force in the making already. Like, I love what I'm seeing from that guy. Like, he he looks like a problem. His offense, like, he's very skilled. Like, he can shoot the ball a little bit. He can pass the ball a little bit. I don't know if that 94% free throw, I don't know if he's a good free throw shooter or, or uh, like, who's just having a great week or two. Or he's just an average free throw shooter who's having a great, I have no idea. But, like, he's shooting it well from the line right now. I'm very I'm very impressed with him. Very, very impressed with with Evan Mobley, but, um, yeah, I mean the NBA season, and you have the you, you have the Ben Simmons drama, which is still ongoing, and 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 also Joel Embiid, basically he's already injured. I think he's is it a knee issue? I think it's a knee issue. And there there was a quote from Ramona Shelburne on uh, I forget what show it's called now on ESPN because the jump is off. But um, there was a quote from her. And she was like, oh, yeah. Uh, he told me after the game in New Orleans that he couldn't walk. From, I, I can't remember what time period she said, but he couldn't walk. He was like, bro, it's, it's fucking October. And I'm, this is not a like, – I, I tweeted this I tweeted this um, during the week when I saw that drop. And I was like, it's October whatever date it was. I think it was like the 26th. It's October 26th, bro. And people kind of took it as I'm calling it Embiid injury prone. That wasn't really the point. My point was, sit the fuck down. It's October 26th. It ain't June 26th. It ain't, it ain't fucking May 26th. It ain't none of that shit where you might be in a playoff chase. You might be playing for home court. You might be playing for continuity sake. Whatever your reasoning might be, playing through an injury on May 26th makes a whole hell of a lot more sense than playing through an injury on October 26th. Like, and I get it. Like, I understand. Like, he wants to show leadership and blah, blah, blah. And Ben Simmons is not there. So he knows that roster-wise, they kind of need him right now. But if you're going to play, and you're going to play the way he's been playing, he ain't helping much. He's not. Like, yes, he's better than Andre Drummond. Oh, so the fuck what? A lot of people are. But he ain't helping them playing the way he's playing right now, B. He's not. And he's, he's not helping himself, and he's not helping the team in the long term, either. Like, somebody needs to step, up, step in and tell him, like, bro, you're going to take a week off. You're going to take... However long it takes for you to get relatively right... You're going to take a week off. You're going to take two weeks off, however much time. Like, him taking six games off is not going to kill the Sixers' chances. They can say whatever they want. They can lie if they want. They can lie to themselves. They can lie to me, whatever. Taking six games off is not going to hurt their chances to win the championship. It's not. Or to get to get far. Because, I mean, they're not championship contenders as of right now anyway. But you know what I mean. Like, it's not going to hurt their chances to do whatever it is. It, it is not going to lower their ceiling from a season-long perspective if Joel b misses five games, but he has to make that decision, and Joel b does seem like the macho tough guy, which yo know, is cool. Um, I don't think it's as cool as, as as I thought it was when I was like twelve. Like I, that, that, that macho tough guy shit, it, it hurts more than it helps in some instances, and, and people don't want to admit it, but it does. And this is one of them, like playing through injury because you think it makes you tough, and giving the team sub substandard performance. It doesn't help as much as you think it helps. It don't. But Joel Embiid and the Sixers have to come to grips with that because they're already a mess. Like Simmons is doing what he's doing. Like Doc Rivers still the coach, still doing whatever the fuck Doc Rivers be doing. Like a bunch of fucking nonsense. And Embiid is already hurt. So the city of brotherly the city of brotherly brotherly love is in shambles between that and the Eagles being awful. Good luck to them on that. Before I get out of here, I'd like to encourage you to listen to the Middle Initial Podcast with myself, Jude A. Jackson, and Andrew L. Case as we discuss current sports topics, and Fly Fantasy Unmuted with myself and Drew A. Kim as we discuss the current fantasy landscape, the current fantasy football landscape. Um, Rate, review, and subscribe for my podcast and theirs, and I will see you when I see you. Congratulations! Oh, Oh my god.